Hello, I'm Thomas Jones, an editor at the London Review of Books. Hello, I'm Emily Wilson. I'm a professor of classical studies at the University of Pennsylvania. And we're here to tell you about the new series of Among the Ancients, a close readings podcast from the London Review of Books, in which over the course of 12 months, starting in January, we'll be discussing 12 writers, although actually it's a couple more than 12, since we won't always limit ourselves to one a month, from the ancient Greek and Roman world. A completely different set from the 12 we talked about in series one, though whittling them down was just as agonising a process as last time. More agonising, possibly. We're covering an even longer time span from Hesiod in the 7th century BC, a contemporary of Homer, to the extent you can say things like that, to Marcus Aurelius in the 2nd century AD. There's verse and prose, fiction and history, philosophy and comic drama, epic and lyric. And our theme, quite a broad theme, uh, is truth and lies. So what was your thinking behind that idea, Emily? Well, truth and lies seems like it's a universal theme, which, of course, is particularly pressing in the contemporary world, where we're very much conscious of the ways that lies can spread in the Internet world. But I was also thinking about how at the start of Hesiod's Theogony, the poet encounters the muses on Mount Helicon, and the muses tell him, we know how to say false things that are very like the truth. And we also know when we choose how to tell the truth. And so I thought that might be a starting point for talking about all the different ways that the muses or the, the muses who inspire different genres of, of writing in antiquity inspire both falsehoods that are like the truth and also when they choose truth and the difficulty of telling the difference between what is pseudos or false and what might be true. So some of, a, a couple of the writers that we'll be talking about. So Herodotus um, in Greek and Tacitus in Latin are known as historians, although the kind of history that Herodotus wrote and the, and the way that Tacitus wrote history, I mean, they're quite different sorts of writers, aren't they? They're completely different sorts of writers. I mean, Herodotus is often described as the father of history, but of course, the way he uses the, the verb historiuen, um, it means to find out or to make discoveries. And he writes what in some ways is a, is a kind of proto-ethnography, finding out about different cultures around the ancient world. I mean, we get exciting descriptions of how do the Egyptians do things? How do the Persians do things? It's a very different kind of history from the tell-all, analytic and... Uh, full of wonderful anecdotes kind of history that Tacitus does and different again from many other I mean we're not doing I think Thucydides this time but stay tuned for series three where we will (laughs) yeah and of course well we're we're talking about Plato in one episode or um though the symposium is that is the book we'll be uh talking about and of course Plato has a very particular relationship with the truth and an idea of the truth Yes. So I, th- I mean, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about different kinds of truth. I mean, the kinds of truth you might tell about what is this culture like or what happened in this year versus the kind of truth you might tell about what is the nature of desire or what is the nature of the soul, which you get in the philosophical text that we'll be talking about. We're also going to end with Marcus Aurelius and the, the question of whether it's possible to live a truthful life. And we'll also be talking about some people who were very clearly making up stories and people who are very deliberately knowingly making up stories. So uh, Lucian and Apuleius, who in a sense were writing 
I mean, it is said that Lucian was sort of the first science fiction writer. Is that too anachronistic or is that? No, I mean, I think Lucian's true history, which we're going to be talking about, of course, it's a satirical and provocative title for a book which is clearly full of complete nonsense lies and yet which is very much building on the tradition of Herodotus and other ancient historians. And so it's sending up the lack of truthfulness of um, these writers who claim to be truthful. So I, I think it's also interesting in both the, the case of Lucian and also in the comic and satirical authors we'll be talking about to sort of try and discuss um, can there be kinds of truth that come through fiction or through satire or through sending up a society and pointing out its foibles, even if you're not literally telling the truth about any particular person or character or event? And one late addition, well, to our list, obviously not to the... <laughs> no, this is quite an early writer, the, um, the Aesop, <laughs> who certainly, um, I know the, you know some people might be surprised to see Aesop included in this sort of list of writers that somehow he's not sort of an obviously canonical classical writer in the way that that Pindar for example is so why did you want to include Aesop? I thought I mean Aesop isn't really just as there's a there's a lot of difficulty about saying who was Homer if anybody there's in a way even more difficulty in saying who was Aesop if anybody I mean almost all the fables that have come down to us from Greco-Roman antiquity got attached to the name of Aesop but that doesn't mean they all were by the same person I thought it'd be interesting to talk about the ancient fable tradition as a way of sort of building on um both the question of truth and lies and how can a fable tell a different kind of truth from the kind of truth that you might get in philosophy or history and also to talk about the different kinds of canonicity because of course in some ways Aesop's fables are some of the most read and widely known texts from antiquity and yet they also as you say they they don't seem to have the kind of canonical status I mean in modern times they've very often been presented as children's literature which is not necessarily how they were received in antiquity. Yeah, and the other one who who snuck in at the last minute, as it were, was uh, was Marcus Aurelius, who in a recent piece for the LRB on a different Stoic philosopher, on Epictetus, you wrote that Marcus Aurelius's meditations were written by a misanthropic, war-mongering emperor for his own edification. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. um, so, yeah, and so why did you want to include him? Was it that? So, I mean, he's quite widely read, or was quite right, widely read. He's still quite widely read. I mean, I thought it would be interesting to include um, texts that are very widely read in modernity, which which certainly includes Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, which is still a top bestseller, um, and certainly certainly in the US, and I think also in the UK. I mean, many people still uh, still and in fact increasingly turn to Stoicism as a way of dealing with the the troubles of and precarities of modern life. So I thought it'd be interesting also to talk about both the biography of Marcus Aurelius, about whom obviously we know quite a lot because he was an emperor, and also this very strange text which draws on Stoicism but isn't really like any other Stoic text that we have in its fragmentary jottings nature. Right, so I think we've mentioned almost... Well, we haven't really talked about um, the poets. We, we were, because, the, of course, season one was all poetry, and we've mostly been talking about prose writers but there were as well as well he said of course as a poet but also we're looking at um greek lyric by pindar and bacchylides and others um roman comedies of plautus and terence which we referred to a bit in series one but we'll be talking about more fully this time and lucan's 
Civil War or Pharsalia, which again is a kind is a, an epic poem about fairly recent history. So how is that? Is that is it history in verse or is it like a historical novel in verse? What how would you classify that? Yes, I mean it's it, it in a sense it's history in verse, but of course it's also has many episodes that are completely made up. I mean that's that's, that's the case for many ancient historians who are not writing in verse as well. Um, but it it also obviously has a very interesting political stance. I mean it's it's making a. A, a political plea as well as telling a particular historical story and framing it as epic as well as historical. Um, so I thought it would also be interesting in the case of all of these verse writers to be sort of keeping keeping with our theme of sort of thinking about how do how can poets tell the truth and how what kinds of truth can poets tell. And we'll also be talking about juvenile. And his satires, which again is a we've talked about satirical truths already, the satirical satirical truths of those poems. But there are also some presumably downright lies in those poems, and perhaps I don't know how productive it would be to compare Juvenal and with Tacitus, for example, and their different approaches. To... Yeah, I mean, I think it might be useful to talk about some of the same. Um stereotypes and um, kinds of misanthropy that come up in both writers and, and the, the tropes about what's happening to the city of Rome in our, in our days that, that seem to run through some of those Roman writers that we're going to be covering. And is misanthropy a theme here? Are they all misanthrop- misanthropic writers? I mean, Hesiod's not misanthropic, is he? Hesiod, I think Herodotus isn't a, isn't a misanthropic writer at all. And I don't think Plato is either. I mean, I think one of the big delights of reading the symposium and a lot of the Platonic dialogues is the delight in all these different character types that you get in, in this. So no, I, and I think Apuleius isn't either. I mean, even though The Golden Ass is explicitly framed as um, this shows you the evils of, of curiosity, it'll get you turned into a donkey if you don't watch out, but it also shows you how how wonderful and magical the world is and you can learn a lot and have a lot of fun while being a donkey. So I, I mean, I think it's not necessarily a, a misanthropic text at all. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll presumably get in, once we get to Apuleius, get into the whole question of whether the conversion ending um, should be taken as the key to it all or whether there are other keys to it all. Yeah. So stay tuned for that at some point in October, I think, probably we'll get to the <laughs> the uh, conversion at the end of our players. Um, we'll be making very few assumptions along the way about what anyone's already read or listened to, or we'll be trying to. Um, we'll probably refer to some of the writers we discussed in the first series along the way. I think that would be unavoidable. And everyone listening to this series will have access to the podcast from the first series. So there's no need at all to listen to all or any of them of season one before starting series two great if you read the books great if you haven't great if you can read greek or latin very well great if you can't read them at all most people fall somewhere along that that <laughs> long line um it should be fun it'll be really fun yes i'm looking forward to it anyway i'm looking forward to it too yes it's going to be great You'll be able to listen to the full series of Among the Ancients 2 and all the other close reading series, new and old, including Among the Ancients Part 1, as part of the LRB Close Readings podcast subscription, available through Apple Podcasts and other podcast apps. Or, if you'd like to receive all the books discussed in the series and have access to webinars with Emily and me and special guests, you can sign up to Close Readings Plus, which will go on sale from Wednesday the 22nd of November.
Find details for both ways of subscribing in the description.